We all set, sir? All right. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I'm so grateful to see each and every one of you here on this beautiful Sunday, the last Sunday of October. I can't believe tomorrow is Halloween already, and Thanksgiving is going to be, what, is that four weeks away? Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming today, and to everyone uh, tuning in on Facebook and on YouTube, good morning. Everyone just look back at the camera and say, hey, hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, Let's stand together. Um, Today, we just want to collectively gather and and just give praise and glory to God because he is so worthy of it. And, uh, you know, it's good for us. It's good for our hearts and our spirits to just kind of come in from the pressures of the the world and, and our commitments and everything and just bask in his presence, right? We need, we need that. We need that. So let's do that right now. <clears throat> A glorious day. All right, let's sing, church. I was buried Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Oh, yes, it was. Till I met you. I was breathing. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I try to hide. It was my tomb. Still I met you. And you called. You called my name. Your mercy, now your mercy has saved my soul. Oh, yes, it has. And now your freedom is all that I know. The old may new, the old may new. Lord, when I met you, Jesus, when I met you, and you called. You call my name.
And I needed rescue. I needed rescue. Nothing was heavy. The chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. When you called my name. Guess what? I ran out of that grave. Because you're alive, I'm free. Because you set me free. I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus. I am yours. Because you said it so. I am loved. And you won't let go. I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus. Oh, Spirit, come, bring revival to our land. This hope we have, our God not dead, He is alive. He's Jesus. He is Jesus. Nothing and no one can stop Him. Nothing as strong as our God is. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. Yes, He is. Hey, death, where is your sting? No sin has claim on me. I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus. No grave could hold my king, he stands in victory. He's alive, he's alive in me, Jesus. You are. You're alive, you're alive in me, Jesus. He is Jesus. Nothing and no one can stop him. Nothing as strong as our God is. Our God is alive. And He is risen. And now we are walking in freedom. Nothing as strong as our Jesus. Our God is alive. Yes, He is. Our God. 
Welcome back, Dave Gudgel, who's going to be uh, speaking for us today on Pastor Gary's behalf. Thank you, sir. Great to have you back. And um, uh, we're also going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper here in, in just a moment together. The next two songs that we're going to do today were written by some local guys. And uh, the first one here, uh, many of you know Jason Squires. He's led worship here many times before. And... Um, when I first heard this song, I just thought, oh, we got to do that sometime. Uh, it's a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of music that um, accomplishes the purpose of just truly worshiping God and pointing people to, uh, to the hope that we can find in, in Christ. And uh, I'm just going to let the lyrics uh, do the talking. And I want to just invite you now to be really just fully engaged, okay? To just bring your your head and your heart to where your body is. <laughs> I have to do that sometimes here on stage, I'll be honest with you. And so let's just all do that together. Let's be fully engaged. Let's be um, just with one accord. Uh, praise him, the Lord of all. Here we go. I've heard all the countless stories Of who you are and all you've done Sometimes it's hard for me to fathom That you would call me with your love You were God you were God in the beginning, creator of the universe. You spoke everything from nothing. You planned my life before my birth. Yes, you did. I respond to all. That I have come to know that you are great, my God. I declare your name alone. Above all, sing it, church. Above all galaxies and 
worlds I cannot see. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. You gave your life for me, high King of majesty. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. Praise you, Lord of all. You were God in the beginning. Creator of the universe, you spoke everything from nothing. You planned my life before my birth, and I respond. I respond to all that I have come to know. You are great, my God. I declare your name alone. I declare your name above all galaxies and worlds I cannot see. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. You gave the light for me, High King of Majesty. I raise my hands. In my life, Lord. In my life, Lord. Be lifted high. Be glorified. In my life, Lord. Be lifted high. Be glorified. time church above all above all galaxies and worlds i cannot see i raise my hands praise you lord of all you gave your life for me high king of majesty yes i raise my hands and i praise you lord of all above all now Above all galaxies and worlds I cannot see, I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. You gave your life for me, High King of Majesty. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. Yes, I raise. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord. I raise. I raise my hands and praise the Lord of all. Let's pray, church. Lord, you deserve our our praise and our worship. You are worthy. 
We thank you for who you are and for all that you have done. We thank you for providing a Savior for us. We thank you for Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf, who took our place. We raise our hands and we praise you, Lord of all, for that and for so many other things. You are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat, everybody. I'm going to invite my wife, Carolyn, to lead us in communion right now. Good morning, church. So this morning, we have the privilege of celebrating communion together. I have to pick up my notes. Okay. And celebrating communion is a, is a really important part of our relationship with Jesus. It was initiated by Jesus himself, and he specifically told his followers to do this in remembrance of me. This morning, we sang a lot of songs about the freedom that we have in Christ, and I want to remind you of those freedoms that we have in Jesus and how important it is that we come to the communion table with awe, with thanksgiving, with hearts wide open in gratitude, and with love. So look with me at what we have been giving, given in Christ. We have freedom from so much. We have freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from God's wrath, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from bondage to sin, freedom from the curse of the law, freedom from legalism, and freedom from Satan's dominion. And in addition, we've been given freedom to do so much, freedom to approach God, freedom to relate to God as his child and his heir, freedom to partake and enjoy every spiritual blessing, freedom to bring our concerns and our requests to God, freedom to walk with God throughout life, Freedom to authentically love others, freedom to live out God's purpose in our lives, and freedom to enter the gates of heaven. Wow. All of this is possible and freely given when Christ has all there is of us. Because of Jesus' body and blood given for us, we have been declared not guilty before God. Hence, our freedoms. We are no longer bound by our sin, but we are set free. Free to have peace with God, access to grace, assurance of heaven, redemption from suffering, the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus Christ himself. When we are reminded of what we are given in Christ, we come to the communion table, a place of remembrance and reflection with hearts full of gratitude. The bread we take is a symbol of his body that was broken for us, and the juice we will drink is a symbol of his blood that was was spilled out for our sins. Communion helps us never forget all that Jesus did for us and the freedom that we have in Christ. As we take communion this morning and we hold those symbols in our hand, that, that wafer and the juice, Um, Let's 
give Jesus all of us as he gave his all for us. I'm going to um, ask you to come forward in a moment. I'm going to have this side come forward over here and this side over here where you can get the elements. And um, while you're getting those, I just want you to spend some time reflecting on everything that Jesus has given and everything that Jesus has done for you. And after everyone has had the opportunity to get that, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we will take communion together. So I want you to go ahead and come forward. Okay, y'all, I'm severely challenged this morning. I cannot get this open. (laughs) I can't get to the wafer. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility, and we ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. And God, would you reveal areas in our life where we have not given it all to you, areas of our life where we are still holding on and not fully surrendering for whatever reason. And right now, Lord, we confess that and we surrender. And Lord, it's our desire to live for you and give you our all as you gave your all for us. In Jesus' name. We can't get it open. So you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna roll with it. Okay. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. Awesome, thank you. It's that tangible symbol, right, of his body. Yeah took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you. We're a great team, right? (laughs) In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, the supreme sacrifice for all of our sins, past, present, and future. 
Because of his blood shed for us and his body broken for us, we can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Thank you for his victory over death. He took the death that we deserved. He took our punishment. And now in Jesus we have peace, we have comfort, we have healing, we have forgiveness, we have salvation. And today we remember with grateful hearts all that you have done. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And sorry, thank you, Eric. Take a moment and greet those around you. All right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. We've got a little bit more worship to do here. I mentioned earlier that our next couple songs are written by some local folks. And um, this one was written by a young man named Greg Cronin, a friend of mine who leads worship at Bayside Church in Woodland. Love this song. Love the message of it. It goes like this. Vaster than the oceans, stronger than the mightiest wave, and you love me. Father, sing along with us now. Father of every Lord over all the earth, and you love me. More beautiful now. More beautiful than the stars in the heavens. You call each and every one by name. 
more beautiful than the streams in the mountains. For the word from your lips, they took their shame. Healer. Healer of every heartache, wiping away all my tears, cause you love me. Restorer of all that is broken, drawing me back close to you. Cause you love me More beautiful How beautiful Than the stars in the heavens You call each and every one by name More beautiful Than the streams in the mountains With the word from your lips How deep, how deep, how wide, how high is your love for me? How deep, how wide, how high is your love time church more faithful, more awesome, more amazing than anything we could ever hope or ask for. Thank you for being all of those things. Thank you for being an amazing God. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, have a seat for a second. I'm going to share a few uh, announcements with us before uh, 
Pastor Dave Gudgel comes up to share God's word. Are you glad you're here today? I am glad that you are as well. I'm so thankful to to be with you this morning, and I want to share with you a, a few important things that are happening here at SVC. First, uh, one of the things I want to mention is uh, our small groups that are going on. You know, we're we're better together. We're better when we do life together. This is wonderful. You know, being able to gather here on Sundays is fantastic. And being able to gather in a, in a small group where you can experience a deeper level of fellowship and you can dive deeper into God's Word together um, is, is it's what we were, we were created to do. We have a few different groups going on right now, a few different co-ed groups. We have uh, a new men's group that I'm starting this Wednesday night in my home. Guys, if you'd like to participate in that, come talk to me. Got the fire pit in the backyard, plenty of seating, and um, I would love to have you there. We're going to be doing a, a book uh, a book study uh, by Max Licato called Jesus, the God Who Knows Your Name. And so if you'd like to participate in that, I'd love to have you. Tuesday nights, the Clausens are leading one. Thursday nights, the Acords leading one. I believe Joy, Pastor, Pastor Gary's wife, Joy Roundsoval, is leading one a women's group starting next weekend. So you can find more information about our groups on our website and on our church app. If you don't have our app, just uh, look in the App Store or Google Play. Uh, do a search for Solana Valley Church, and you'll find it, and then you can find all the information about our groups. Also, Coffee with the Pastor. I want to mention this again. Every Wednesday at 4 o'clock, Gary and I are at uh, Journey Coffee on Chadbourne Road. Uh, it's always a, a, a great time, and it's always great coffee <laughs> as well. I've been more of an iced tea guy lately, but if, if, that, uh, if, if the weather keeps getting cooler, that might change. But we'd be honored just to, to meet with you and talk with you about um, anything and everything under the sun. Uh, lately, we've been uh, someone that's been coming on a regular basis. We, we've been like looking through the Gospel of Matthew and I think the Gospel of Mark as well. And it's just been great to connect. And if you have questions about the church or about uh, God's Word or, or anything, we'd be honored to to just connect with you like that. Uh, I also want to mention, uh, last week our, our daughter Katie came up and talked about a school supply drive that uh, she is organizing and leading for the Leaven. And um, this uh, Katie's been volunteering uh, at, the, at the Leaven, the, uh, the location over on uh, Tabor, for about five weeks now, five or six weeks. She's having a wonderful time connecting with those, with those kids. And her site director uh, said that you know, they're running low on school supplies. And so at the table behind the sound booth, if you happen to, I know we announced it for the first time a week ago, if you've already gotten some supplies that you want to donate, there's a big bin back there that you can put those in. If you want information, uh, more information about it, or you want to know, like, you know, what specifically do they need, there's flyers back there as well. This is just a, I really... I'm proud of you, Katie, for, for, for wanting to do this and for wanting to just serve these children and their families in a very practical way. You know, sometimes that's the, that's the best thing we can do. So uh, I would just encourage you to, to participate in that. Uh, we're going to be collecting them over the next few weeks. Finally, I'm almost done, Dave. Thanks for your patience here. Finally, uh, let's, we're going to worship God with our giving. 
there are five different ways that you can give, and you can find them all on our website at salonavalley.org. Uh, you know, the scriptures say that God loves a, a cheerful giver. And so my encouragement to you is, is, to, do, is to be just that, not, not to give out of, you know, this you know, heavy sense of obligation or guilt or anything like that, but out of a joyful heart because uh, I, what, what you give is being used to build, God, build God's kingdom right here and being used to uh, spread his word, spread the gospel, and um, do great things. So thank you for giving. Thank you for your, uh, your kindness and for your generosity. After all these months, it's still difficult talking and singing under this mask, so I'm going to stop now, and I'm going to invite Dave Gudgel back up to the stage, uh, or back to the, to the stage here. Will you welcome him, please? Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Well, good morning, everybody. It's just fun to be back again with you. Seems like it's been a while, and I'm honored to come. Usually, it seems, on a Sunday where you have communion. So that's great, you know. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here with you. Well, if you have a Bible, take it out and or the message note sheet. You'll see the primary passage we're going to look at. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 9 and verses uh, 28 and 29 primarily this morning. So hope you go there with us uh, as we look at God's Word. This is a fun passage and a very insightful passage in terms of areas that uh, we experience in life, and by that I primarily am thinking about success and failure. Both of those seem to be a part of our lives. I mean, we would love it if all of the past successes we have had would just set us up for a a life of success. (laughs) But the fact is, is that our past successes could actually set us up for failure. And this passage speaks to that whole matter. So if you're a person that's experienced any kind of success, this is a message going to connect with you. If you're somebody who would love to be more successful in an area of life or your spiritual walk with God, this uh, passage can speak to you. I know that as I was looking at this passage again, and I've been looking at this passage for a decade now. I have. I came across it a decade ago where... I'll tell you some of that story, but it's been something that's prodded me and helped me over the last 10 plus years. It truly has. But this time, as I was refreshing my thoughts about this in preparation for our time together this morning, my mind went back to Westmont College. I'm a graduate of Westmont, which is in Santa Barbara, California, a college that, uh, you know, did not really enjoy playing against other teams from Biola and Azusa Pacific and, you know, people like that, people that you all have family and others that go to. Anybody here go to Westmont or anybody here know somebody who went to Westmont? Okay, well, now you know somebody who went to Westmont. Uh, Just such a beautiful campus in Santa Barbara. But anyway, uh, when I arrived there, I was a junior transferring in, I had just finished two years at a city college. City college was the only college would accept me, so that's why I went to city college. And that is a whole other story, but uh, when I came to Westmont and, you know, had the GPA 
to be able to get into Westmont, they would even accept me, uh, I was expecting to do okay academically in the college. But my first test, I got an F on it, and the second test, I got a D on it. Now, the reason I remember this, you know, this many years later is because it made an emotional connection in my heart, and it's been something, you know, I've never forgotten, and it was going to be, for me, a very important moment because that F and that D got me into the dean's office, not that the dean was checking everybody's grades at that point, you know, saying, you're going in the wrong direction, get in here, let's talk. I called him up and said, i got to talk to you. So I got into Dean Smith's office, and he talked me through my study habits and other things. And quite frankly, I went back and did what it was he specifically said I needed to do if I was going to succeed at Westmont. And it worked. I got out of there, and I you know, got a good GPA before I got out of there, and things went in a good direction. And lo and behold, I went on a couple years after that and got a Master of Divinity and went a few more years after that and got a Doctor of Ministry. So I don't think I would have done any of that had I not failed at Westmont and got some wise counsel. Now, past failure doesn't have to always lead to that kind of result, but we hope it would. I mean, it would be wonderful if that kind of thing would actually happen. Uh, I think of just uh, in terms of other areas of life and how we experience failure and success. For some reason, uh, the greatest loser came to mind. The greatest loser has been on uh, television for had over the years for, I think this was their 18th season. They were actually back on the, uh, the television this year. I don't know if they're going to be back next year or not. But we used to tune in and some of those 17 seasons that they had in uh, television. And we used to tune in and just sort of watch and see, you know, how things were going with those who came on the show. And it was incredible the insanity that they went through to try to lose weight. If you ever watch the show, you know the craziness of all the exercise plans and the diet plans and everything else that they went through. And so many that came on the show lost weight. But in the months that followed, and you know where I'm going with this, in the months that followed, their past success did not guarantee future success. Many of them, and if you go back and even Google this and ask, you know, how many contestants on that show actually keep to the diet and the exercise plan after they leave the show, the reality is not very many do. And, and that makes my point only in this sense, because I feel, you know, terrible about that for those who are wanting to be able to continue with success. But at the same time, perhaps there's something there that we can all learn with regard to any area of life, uh, wherever you've experienced success or wherever you experienced failure. So it could have something to do with your academics. It could have something to do with relationships. It could be a vocational thing for you. Uh, so many different areas, specifically the spiritual area is what we're going to focus on. But there are a lot of ways by which we can end up failing even after our successes. That's what I'm trying to say. Some of you will relate to this having been on retreats or camp experiences. 
And you went up there on the mountain, and you made an amazing commitment. It was a fantastic time, and you said, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be different than I've ever been before. And how long did that last? You know, sometimes it only lasts a couple days, or maybe until you get home and you have a conversation with your parents, and, oh, man, here we go again kind of thing. You know, there's so many things that can happen in the aftermath of successes, And this passage is real interesting because Jesus' disciples uh, experience failure in this passage. In Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, it kind of all comes together when they come to Jesus and ask him a question. But this came, this question and this experience came about a year after uh, they had cast many demons out of many people. If you look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 13, it tells us that the disciples drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. I call that a success. And it was something that no doubt when these guys came into this situation now where a father brought his son who was hurting, who was demon possessed and was hoping that the disciples would be able to heal their son, would be able to cast this demon out of their son. And what's fascinating is as you read the account, and if you read it in light of Mark chapter 6 and the successful ministry that they had with healing people and casting demons out of many people, Mark 6.13 tells us not just one or two, but many, many people. Well, here it's a year later, and now they can't cast a demon out of a kid. They can't cast a demon out of a kid. One demon, or however many there were, but they couldn't do it. And so in the aftermath of their failure and Jesus' success, because Jesus showed up and he did what they couldn't do, he cast the demon out of the kid. And in the aftermath of that, after Jesus, Mark 9, 28 says, and after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, (laughs) you know, we've already been embarrassed. We don't want to be embarrassed again. I don't know what the thing was, but they just caught Jesus alone. And they said, why couldn't we drive it out? I mean, obviously, their failure was on their minds. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, because this kind can come out. Only by prayer. Which is to say that what they had done, they did thinking that their past success would make them successful in that very moment. Which is why I say our past successes could actually set us up for future failure. They believed, they would not have said to the father, you know, when the father said, can you do something about this? They would have not said to the father, oh, yeah, we could do something. We've done this before. But in this situation, it didn't work like it worked before. They were not able to push back the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. Specifically, or said simply, they were powerless Because they were prayerless. And Jesus wants them to hear that. And I think he wants us to hear that too, especially in a culture where oftentimes we may, so to speak, think that we can do something in the future because we've done something in the past. 
And it's very possible, but whatever success we've had in the past, that could actually set us up for failure. Now, when I got to thinking about this topic, I was reading through the book of Mark, and I came upon Mark chapter 9, and I saw Mark 9 in light, uh, a different light than I've, I've ever seen it before. Of course, I was in a different circumstance when I read it that time. I was now the lead pastor over at Bridges Community Church in Los Altos, just across the bay over there. I had come to the, the church after having been a lead pastor in two other churches, one in Southern California for 22 years, and one in Phoenix, Arizona for seven years. So I had come to the church in Los Altos with 29 years of lead pastor, senior pastor experience, which is just enough to get a person to think that, well, good things have happened before. Well, I would expect good things to happen now. Easily. That could be the mindset of a pastor. It could have been my mindset. And God put before me in those early days of the ministry there, this passage of all passages. And I remember thinking, this is for me. Because I've experienced some success. We've seen God do some wonderful things in the past. And I'm, I'm facing a situation now that's unlike anything I've ever faced before. I'm in the Silicon Valley, for one. And, and in that area, people expect to be able to figure things out. So that whatever is wrong, we fix it here. We'll find a way. We'll innovate. We'll do whatever we got to do. But we can fix it. And so that expectation was on the table when I came to what was called First Baptist Church Los Altos. Eventually, we changed the name to Bridges Community Church. Today, it's Bridges Community Church. But that was the expectation. Things had not gone well in the previous years. Uh, the lead pastor many, many years ago had a wonderful ministry there. They, but they went over the top of the bell curve in 1986, 1987 in terms of if you're just looking at attendance and, you know, how alive the church was and all of that. That all kind of took a nosedive after 1986, 1987. They were on the other side. Instead of on the growth side of the, the, the bell curve, they were on the death and dying side of the bell curve. And they were going to fix that. The pastor that followed that pastor didn't fix that. They continue on their death spiral. And then they took a guy that was an associate pastor in the church, and they elevated him to the senior pastor role. They knew him extremely well, and they thought he could do it. He could be the guy, you know. And he lasted for three years until they demoted him again, which is a very unusual thing to do in a church. If you're ever thinking about doing something like that, don't do that, okay? They took him from an associate role, they put him in the senior role, then they put him back in an associate role. It was not a good thing. And that's when I came. They found me through a search, and God put two and two together. And so when I came, they were expecting me as this seasoned pastor after 29 years of ministry to do something that would help the church turn around. Now, that's a high expectation 
And I, coming there, had hoped that maybe we could see God turn it around and, and do some good things. And I needed this. I really needed this. Because if I thought, and frankly, not just I, but if they thought that we could figure it out and fix this ourselves, we need to think about that again. And so I really appreciate this passage that's found here because I think there are some learnings here that could be helpful to us today. And one of the reasons why I think that we need to hear these words in a maybe a new way, if you've never heard them before, then for the first time, is because we are living in a different world right now. Things are not the same as they were three years ago. Churches are not in the same situation that they were in three years ago. Uh, almost every church I know of is experiencing, in terms of attendance and a worship service on Sunday morning, lower attendance right now. And yet at the same time, these, many of these churches that are experiencing these struggles right now are churches that have had success in their background. And I think it would be very easy for any church or any Christ follower right now to think, we did it before, we can do it again. So let's just go back and do what we did before. But I think God wants something different for all of us. I think he wants to do something brand new in new ways and bring fresh life into the church and into our lives individually in ways that's going to result in something new in this new world that we're living in right now. And so that said, I really think a passage like this could be so helpful to all of us. I truly do. Six words here to pay attention to, can come out only by prayer. And I think those six words can be helped along in terms of our understanding and application by three questions. So I just want to ask and answer three questions just briefly. Question number, number one, do I believe this? Second question, do I practice this instruction? Third question, do I cherish this gift? Now, do I believe this fact, all right? First question, do I believe what Jesus said? That some things in life can only happen through prayer. That means to say to the disciples and to people like us that there are things in life that if we don't pray, they're not going to happen. Now, that's not to say that God can't do or will not do something just because he wants to do it. Certainly, he can do that any time he wants. But he's saying to these disciples at this moment, and I think he's saying the same thing to us, that there are some things in life that are not going to happen until we stop and we go to God in prayer fervently and we ask him to intervene. We depend upon him instead of acting like, you know, I did that before. We can do it again. I think he's looking for his children to stop to recognize that the world that they're living in, the circumstances that they find themselves in, they are not going to work out in natural ways. It's going to take the supernatural for something to change. Now imagine this. These disciples are asked by a hurting dad, can you help my son? 
Since childhood, verses 17 and 18, since childhood, a demon has often thrown him into the fire and, and water to try to kill him. That's what the father said. And they said, we'll just surmise here. Sure, we can help. We cast many demons out before. Yeah, no problem. And so then the disciples speak to this boy or to the demon and say, demon, get out of him. Let go. Get out of here. Be gone. To which the demon said to the disciples, I don't think so. (laughs) We're not letting go. We're going to continue to make this kid's life miserable. Not a chance. Now, I don't know if all that went on that way. All I know is that whatever happened led to failure on the part of the disciples. And not just failure. But if you look at the rest of the context, and I'll leave that to you, starting in verse 9 all the way through verse 29. But if you look at the rest of the context, you see that an argument came out of their failure. An argument between the disciples and the teachers of the law. And not only that, but there in verse 19 were words of sadness and reproof that came the disciples' way from Jesus. And the reason those kinds of words would come, because Jesus was expecting that by now they would have understood that it wasn't going to happen. This kind of thing wasn't going to happen in their power, but it was going to happen through his power. And through the power of God. So had it not been for Jesus stepping in and doing what they had not done, it would have been an awful situation. But shortly after all of that has taken place, they had failed, then Jesus is answering their question. Why couldn't it? Why didn't it happen? Well, Jesus simply said, because you didn't pray. You thought that you could fix the boy's problem in your strength. You thought that you could fix it because you've had success in the past. Guys, if you want to see something supernatural, it's not going to be done through your power. It's going to be done through the power of God. And I want you just to pay attention just to that one word, only. Only. That's a word that speaks about something being exclusive, doesn't it? It's a, a an exclusive commitment. When You say to somebody else, you are my one and my what? Only. It can be a word of sadness. There was only one survivor. It could be a word of reality. If you want to fly to Missoula, Montana tomorrow, there's only one flight. That's it. You're only one. It could be a word of joy, which is to say he or she, they had a only one child it could be sadness also. It could be the fact that the coffee shop is only open till 8 p.m. and you need longer time to study there. But that's just the way it is. And so when Jesus says only here, he's saying, you got to get this in your mind. That if you're going to see God work in supernatural ways, it is only going to come in response to prayer it's not going to come as a result of your past successes it's not going to come because of your on-the-job experience that's what he's saying to these guys at this moment it's not going to become to come because of incantations or macgyverisms macgyverisms what's that that's ingenious creative hacks 
improvised solutions. We'll come up with something. No, you're going to fail. And the movement of the kingdom of light is going to be held back. So I think that what Jesus is saying here to them, and he's saying it to us, is do we really believe that? Do we really believe that there are some things in life are not, that are not going to happen until we pray? Do we really believe that? John Piper says it this way, God ordains to fulfill his plans by being asked to do so by us. I love what James wrote about this, James, Jesus' brother. He said, chapter 4, verse 2 of his book, you do not have because you do not ask. That's to say, if the disciples had asked, if they had just asked for God to intervene, they could have seen the power of God in miraculous ways. And they could have been a part of bringing joy to that father. And they could have been a part of seeing God intervene in ways that brought impact on that entire crowd with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that didn't happen through them. It happened, no doubt, through Jesus, but it didn't happen through them. Billy Graham said, Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one ever bothered to ask. To ask. I can't think about this story without thinking about a few years into the ministry there in Los Altos. I'm no longer at the church now. I have the privilege of helping several churches in our association. But a few years into the ministry, we had a balloon payment we had to pay off. It was already there before I came. It was uh, at the point of $1,200,000. Uh, they had been paying it down for several years. But at one point, there was this balloon due on a certain month and a certain day. It was like July something. And so we started as a congregation uh, for a couple of years asking people to give toward this payment. People who had been in the church for a while knew that this thing was coming up. It was just something that needed to be done. We also said, you know, and while we're giving toward this need, we would love it if we could also do some remodeling uh, because there's some stuff here that just is old and dated. And, you know, we had a carpet that looked like it was back in the 70s and other stuff like that. And so we put that before the congregation as well. And what was fascinating about all of this is that the congregation, the membership was willing to give uh, to the debt, to pay the debt off. And this is the first time I've ever seen this other half of it, they didn't want to give to any kind of remodeling. So they basically came back as a church and said to us, we're really not interested in remodeling, which if they should have been interested in at least one part of the remodeling, it would have been the bathrooms because the bathrooms in the worship building were just, they were awful. Okay. And if anybody ever came and wanted to go to the bathroom, you know, there one time would be about it, you know, I'm not coming back to this church kind of thing. And so it was just something that needed, it needed help, really needed help. Well, we came to the day where money had been given and uh, not much more than what was needed to pay off the debt. We paid the debt off. We had a celebration as a church, burned the note, you know, all that stuff. We celebrated all that. It was a happy day. But we weren't going to be able to move forward with the remodeling project. 
until that night at 3 a.m., the flood came. I kid you not. In the women's bathroom that night, the night after the Sunday morning where we burned a note, celebrated, God had given us $1.2 million, and we paid the note off, the flood came, a pipe broke in the women's bathroom. And water leaked all through that bathroom, into the men's bathroom, in through the lobby. We had this slanted floor. And so then it came out into the worship center and it went all the way down and it created a wading pool down here by the stage, by the platform. And it got everything wet here. It got all the stuff underneath the stage wet. It got the bathrooms wet. It got the lobby wet. In other words, everything that we hope to remodel got wet. I kid you not. And as far as I know, nobody did this. I mean, nobody like, yeah, we're going to see if we can set the church up to make sure that they do the remodel. That's not what happened. But that is what happened. Because the insurance companies came in and they said, well, we're going to be able to pay this much remediation. And we were out of the building, I kid you not, for a year and a half. Okay, that's how bad it was. For a year and a half, we were in the gym. So we were like starting the church all over again. It was an incredible time. It made us feel like we were a brand new church. And when we got back into the building, it was a brand new building. Not only... Had God provided through the insurance, but also through the people that then got on board and started giving. And they really got the giving ramped up because they were tired of meeting in the gym after a while, if you know what I mean. What was amazing to me was that after all of this happened, I had two different women come to me. And these two women, both of them, said to me, Dave, I, I'm, I feel terrible about this, but on the Sunday of the flood, I was using the bathroom, and I was in the bathroom praying, oh, God, please give us a new bathroom. <laughs> now, they weren't on group prayer on this thing, okay? That's what one of them said about the day that this happened, the flood. The other one said, I, I, I prayed the week before. The week before. Now, I, you know... Take it for any way you want to take it. But I would say if these women were here right now and they would give testimony, they would say, you know what? Some things only happen by prayer. Do we, do we really believe that? Second question. Second question. Do I practice this instruction? It's one thing to believe it as a fact, but do we practice it? Is prayer a go-to practice when faced with circumstances that are out of our control? I mean, these circumstances were out of the disciples' control. And if you can look at this passage and contemplate what was going on and passages that are around it, where they were at this point in their life and ministry, evidently prayer still was not an essential for them. And it just came through this time and... COVID and all of that, and everybody was telling us what's essential. Well, prayer wasn't essential to them. I mean, at least in in this sense, maybe a year before, you know, when they were going to go out their first time on a missionary journey and do some things they had never done before, maybe it was essential then. Kind of like 
Prayer has been essential in our lives, you know, at that first piano recital. Before the first piano recital, when you're scared to death and you're praying like crazy, oh, God, show up. Don't help me not make a fool out of myself. Or that first time you're trying to get a job and you're praying like crazy. Oh, God, would you just please open up a door? I need a job. Or right before that first speech, you're thinking, this is not going good. And, and so you pray. But then, you know, you do a few speeches and you're like, well, I'm okay with this. And prayer sort of falls off the, uh, the radar. Or you do a few piano recitals and like, yeah, I'm okay. And, and prayer's not anywhere connected to the piano recital anymore. Or, yeah, I know how to get a job. And prayer doesn't even come up. See, I think what happens many times is we pray like crazy when it's the first time we find ourselves in a particular situation, like the disciples a year before. But it's very possible that the prayer that was a focus back then where we devoted ourselves like the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer. But, you know, after a church has been around for a while and we've seen some successes, it's very possible for that church to think that we got this. I mean, we're Silicon Valley kind of people. We can, we can figure it out. Really? My wife and I raised our three kids at the same time as some close friends. They had three children about the exact same ages as our children. But their three children were what we would call compliant. Our three children were what we would call normal. <laughs> If, if you know what I mean. Our friends thought that they had the parenting thing down really, really good because their kids were just, I mean, it was amazing. In fact, they're so amazing in their parenting that they started a parenting class. They invited people to come to this class and to hear, you know, how to get your kids to do what you want them to do and a lot of other things. And everything was great until they had a fourth child. And guess what? The fourth child was not compliant like the other three. Not, not at all strong-willed child. Even though they were doing the same things, it wasn't working out the same for them. And you know what they ended up doing? They ended up apologizing to all the people that ever taught in their parenting classes. They said, we didn't know. And you know what else they did? They started to pray like crazy. They started to pray in brand new ways. Because all of a sudden, they were looking at their life and their circumstances from a whole different perspective. And I just wonder, as far as Jesus' apostles go, what happened after this? Because we know that Jesus was praying all the time, and he's teaching all the time about prayer. He taught about it. Uh, explicitly, but he also taught about it, you know, just by example. And so you have Luke 5.16 that tells us Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. They knew that. They saw that. In fact, it got to the point where the disciples asked Jesus to teach us. They said, teach us to pray, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And so Jesus taught them. He says, okay, so when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who's in secret. Matthew 6, 6. 
And your father, when he sees you praying in secret, guess what he's going to do? He's going to reward you. And they saw Jesus model the place of prayer at the feeding of the 5,000 and at the feeding of the 4,000. We're told at the feeding of the 5,000, the 5,000 men who were there, and then that doesn't even count for all the women and children that were there, that he took five loaves and two fish. And then he looked up to the heavens and he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and the fish and there was a miracle. And the same thing happened in Matthew 15:36, where he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. In other words, it wasn't accidental that the miracle followed the, the, the prayer. In fact, in John chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, Jesus' friend Lazarus was dead. He had been dead, remember this, four days. And so what did Jesus do before he did the miracle? He looked up, he lifted up his eyes, John eleven forty one, the last part of verse 41, 42. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Here's the connection between prayer and the miracle that's about to happen. You see this over and over in Jesus' ministry. He not only instructed them in the importance of prayer, but he showed them the importance of prayer in that he prayed first. Boy, that's, that's helpful, isn't it? I love the story of Howard Hendricks, who used to be a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now he's in heaven. But he tells the story of this lovely couple who sold their business at a loss, and then they uh, went on to Dallas Seminary. And they had it rough, financially especially. They had four kids in their family. And one night at uh, family worship, Hendricks said that Timmy, the youngest boy, said, Daddy, do you think that Jesus would mind if I asked him for a shirt? And Daddy said, no, sure, let's write that down in our prayer request book, Mom. So Mom wrote it down, shirt for Timmy, and she added size 7. And you could be sure, Hendrick said, that every night, Timmy reminded Mom and Dad to pray for that shirt. Well, after several weeks, one Saturday, the mother received a telephone call from a clother in downtown Dallas, a Christian businessman. And he said, I've just finished my July clearance sale, and knowing that you have four boys, it occurred to me that you might be able to use something we have left. So he said, could you use some boys' shirts? And she said, well, what size? He said, size seven. She said, well, how many do you have? He said, 12. So then Hendricks writes this about this amazing event that happened. He said, many of us might have taken the shirts, stuffed them in the bureau drawer, and made some casual comment to the children, but not this wise set of parents. That night as expected, Timmy said, don't forget, Mommy. Let's pray for the shirt. Mommy said, we don't have to pray for the shirt, Timmy. How come, he said. Well, because the Lord has answered your prayer. He has? Yes. And so as previously arranged, Brother Tommy goes out and gets one shirt, brings it in, puts it down on the table in front of Timmy. 
And Timmy's eyes are like saucers. Tommy goes out a second time and gets another shirt and brings it in. And then a third time and fourth, out and back, out and back, until the pile has 12 shirts on the table, and Timmy thinks that God is going into the shirt business. And Timmy learns something about prayer and something about our gracious, powerful God. That if we will take whatever it is that we are troubled by to him, God will hear those prayers and he will choose to answer however he wishes. And sometimes he's going to do exactly what we think and are asking for. I can't guarantee that all the time, but I do know this. That some things in life are only going to come after we pray. That's what Jesus is saying. Do I believe that fact? Do I practice this instruction? Just one last thought. Do I cherish this gift? Do I cherish this fact that nothing is impossible, that God can do what we can't do? He can gift us with things that are absolutely impossible. Cherish that thought. You know, when you use that word cherish, what do you think of? I think of those wedding vows. You saw a wedding yesterday. I don't know if these vows were in it, but oftentimes the vows of to have and hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer and poor, and sickness and in health, to love and what? And to cherish. To cherish till death do us part. What's cherish? That means to adore. That means to show affection for. That means to nurture. That means to hold each other in high regard. We've got plenty of reason to cherish God, to cherish our relationship with God, to cherish those times where we can pray and come before God's throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. You have to wonder if that's part of the reason why Jesus spent so much time praying. Because he cherished those opportunities. So in Luke 5, 16, why did, was he often withdrawing to lonely places and praying? Well, could it be that he not only knew that God worked in response to prayer, but he also just cherished the moment to spend time talking to God. Or Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, this is Jesus, and went out to a desolate place. And what did he do there? And he prayed. Or Luke 6.12, and these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he, and he prayed all night. He continued in prayer to God. Have you and I ever done that? All night? A half hour? A half day? A day in prayer? I really believe that God is ready to hear our prayers. The only question is, are we ready to pray them? You know, you've heard some of my story. We ended up in Phoenix after we said no to Santa Barbara. Uh, we, we were in a time between um, pastoring Agora Bible Fellowship in Southern California, and we were thinking God was going to take us somewhere else, but he'd not taken us somewhere else yet. And it looked like we might be going to Santa Barbara, but we felt like um, that wasn't where God wanted us, even though we wanted to be in Santa Barbara. Are you kidding? God had said to us, it's Santa Barbara, Phoenix. We would have probably found a way to say, it's Santa Barbara. I got peace about that. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for telling us in advance it's Santa Barbara, Phoenix. He didn't do that. He said, 
you know, I'm not going to give you a piece about Santa Barbara so that you'll have to come to me and ask me for help. And so at the time, and you may have heard part of this story, we were living in other people's homes because we'd already moved out of our home. We were thinking we are going to move out of the area. All our furniture is in storage. We would ask our friends in the church, are you going away on vacation anytime soon? And they, would, they told us their vacation schedules, and so we started going to their homes and living in their homes when they were gone on vacation. And we were in this one home where this family was on vacation, and we can't get peace about going to Santa Barbara saying, we want to candidate you. Are you sure you don't want to come? We're like, yeah, we want to come, but... And we spent 24 hours in prayer. My wife and I, prayer and fasting. And we don't often do that, but I'm telling you, when you're faced with some major decisions, it's really a good idea to get some intensity and some devotion and fervency into your prayer life, and even in the terms of the number of hours if you need it. And so that's what we did. And after 24 hours, I had 15 reasons God did not want us to go to Santa Barbara. And Bernice had seven. And we're like, oh. So we called up Santa Barbara and said, we can't come. We'd love to come, but we can't come. God's not giving us a peace about it. And we're thinking, what are we going to do? You know, we can only live in other people's houses so long. So what are we going to do? Of course, continue to pray about this. 90 minutes Kid you not, 90 minutes after we said no to Santa Barbara, Phoenix called us. Phoenix. They said, we know you're probably going to Santa Barbara, we heard, but uh, we're just wondering, can you come and help us? We were talking to a church in Vancouver, Washington at the time. They, they were very interested in us. And we said, well, maybe we could come. Let us check with this church that's been talking to us. We called them up, and they said, well, we can't do anything for four months. And we said, well, if we were to take, like, this interim thing for four months, would that be okay on your calendar? Oh, yeah, for sure. We can't do anything for four months. So we took the thing for four months, took a little U-Haul trailer over there that had just enough stuff in it to keep us there for four months. That was it. And we continued to pray. And God broke through our hearts. And he broke through the hearts of that congregation. Ultimately, they said, you're the guy we've been looking for, which we thought, you're crazy. You know, really, you said no before I had come and guest spoke for them. And all they remember me as was the guy that wore a yellow shirt when he guest spoke, you know, and didn't didn't go over well. But it confused them. But God opened the door and God kept us there for seven years. And we saw God do things that we never imagined. And that church never imagined would happen again. And it was way over my head. First staff meeting I went into, there were 50 staff sitting there. It was way over my head. And I learned that when you pray, amazing things can happen. But what might keep us from praying is our past success. Let's not let that happen. God's got a plan for all of us. He's got a plan for this church and the future. And the plan may not be revealed until we pray. Until we devote ourselves to pray. And ask God to open the door, give us the wisdom 
show us what it is that he has next for us to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage that we could talk about this morning. We hope that what we've talked about is helpful. We know it was helpful to the disciples. We look at their impact through their lives, the impact, your impact through their lives. It was nothing short of miraculous. Pray for miraculous days to come in supernatural ways through your divine work that's beyond anything that we could ever even think or imagine or accomplish in our strength. We pray that for each individual who's here this morning, whatever they're faced with, we pray that for your church in the days to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dave, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your testimony. I remember with that flood at Bridge, I remember Gary telling me about it and thinking, oh my goodness. And uh, didn't know the backstory until now. That's amazing. Uh, I was praying for you then. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing uh, that. And uh, I hope that all of you have been inspired and encouraged as I have been to keep praying, to never give up. And um, uh, so thank you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> and we can keep praying and we cannot. Uh, we can choose to not give up because we are praying to a God who is alive and who has a uh, who has a word that is alive and active. And he wants to work in us and through us for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. So let's stand together and let's worship together one more time. Our God is alive. Thank you for covering for Pastor Gary today. Thank you for all of your preparation into today. And uh, uh, will you... Uh, Will you thank Dave with me, please, for being here? I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's sing. I'm alive. I'm alive because you're alive. I am free. You set me free. I'm alive. I'm alive in you, Jesus. I am yours. Cause you said it so I am alive And you won't let go I'm alive, I'm alive in you Jesus Oh Spirit come Bring revival to our land And so we have our God not dead He is alive He is Jesus, nothing and no one can stop him. Nothing is strong as our God is. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. And on that note, I'm going to thank you for being here with us today. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time.